I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong Yes. Season Season 2! Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where two best friends read books together and try to apply what they learn to their lives. This is season two in which we are reading Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily Nagowski, PhD, and Amelia Nagowski, DMA. I'm story expert and piece of cheese at the end of the maze, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher and specialized way of being wrong, Dr. Kelly Jones. (laughs) The reading we are discussing today is the introduction. Next week's reading is chapter one, complete the cycle. Go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we are reading and when. All right. So Dr. Jones, here we are at our first reading in like such a long time. It felt so fun to be reading something with Dr. Jones again. So I have to say um, my initial impression when I started reading this, like the first thing to jump out at me was how incredibly gendered um, it is. And so I kind of want to address that up front. Uh, This book says it's for women and does define what it means by woman on page 14 of my version anyway. Uh, In this book, when we use the word woman, we mostly mean people who identify as women, but it's important to remember that when we describe the science were limited to women who were identified at birth and raised as women, because that's mostly who has been studied. And then they put in parentheses a little sorry there, Um, which I understand. Like, I like that they acknowledge the limits of the scientific studies that they have available to them. And they want to keep things based in science, which I also appreciate. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea of human being slash human giver, which we're going to talk about a little bit more detail later, um, being directly mapped to men and women. Um, I know human givers who identify as men, and I know human beings who identify as women, and there are variations of both among people who identify in various spaces along the gender spectrum. So I felt like that was something that we need to um, to definitely address at the beginning. Um, while the book does create a gender division here, here and kind of sets itself out to be a book about women for women. Um, I would like to state up front that I'm going to try not to use gendered language more than absolutely necessary when discussing the book. Um, If I fall into it, as I know I'm going to, because I grew up the way I grew up and these are things that are in your brain that are kind of hard to reroute some of these natural pathways that you've just kind of learned through life. Um, It's something that I'm going to really try to avoid and try to catch myself when I do it. If I do it and I don't catch myself, then I apologize in advance. Um, I do see this book as having a more general value to like everyone and anyone can see a human being or a human giver in themselves and probably both either or at different times Um, and also the people around them without like really tightly mapping it to gender. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I mean, um, our, our language is gendered, our society is gendered, science is gendered. Mm-hmm. So I understand the framework where, where you set out to write a book that is, is in response to a significant number of studies that have been done. Mm-hmm. So you're automatically yeah. kind of limited to the language of those studies. Um, but I, I think for me, this book is helpful for anyone who's struggling with burnout. So mm-hmm. I don't, don't even think it's necessary to identify as a, as a giver or as a, as a being. Um, I think if you prioritize the needs of others to your own detriment, which is not yes. the same, for example, as choosing to live a life of service and finding happiness there. 
So mm-hmm. I think for me, the caveat is if you are living in a state of burnout mm-hmm. and that burnout feels bigger than you, in other words, if burnout is your pri- primary lens, then this book might help. And I have right. found I can pull what helps me most is to kind of filter through the gendered language and even some of the human giver versus human being language and really look at what are the strategies that help move stress through your body. And that right. those are the pieces that I'm that I'm pulling out the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and I think that um, I, I like the way that you said that if you are, you know, putting other people's needs above your own to the point of your own detriment, you know, um, that that is something that is going to give you burnout. And so these things can be valuable to you. Um, I really like I appreciate what they're trying to do and the fact that they're working with science that was gendered in in the beginning. But I think that it can be really valuable to people who identify all over the place. So yeah. um, I think that that's good. I do like, though, that they do rely on science. And I like the way that they talk about science. Um, on page five, they say, we'll figure out what wellness can look like in your actual life. And we'll confront the barriers that stand between you and your own well-being. We'll put those barriers into context, like landmarks on a map, so we can find paths around and over and through them, or sometimes just blow them to smithereens with science. And I kind of like that. I like that playful approach and the understanding of science as important while at the same time acknowledging its limitations. Yeah. And I I relate a lot to that. Um, And as a researcher, my whole little heart lit up. We will talk about it when we get to the structure of the book, but they, Mm -hmm. they address the strengths and limitations of research in a way that I greatly appreciate, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I really loved the their idea of of connection and collaboration. Um, So on page six of the introduction, it said, Mm -hmm. um, this turned into a lot more than a book about stress. Above all, it became a book about connection. We humans are not built to do big things alone. We're built to work together. That's what we wrote about. And that's how we wrote it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. hell yes, give me a methodology and an outcome that are aligned and, yeah. and, you know, creative collaboration. Oh, my God. Um, I really loved it. And then, of course, you know that in an introduction, <laughs> this just delighted me because they define their terms up front. I know. It was so great. I knew that would delight you. As soon as I saw it, I was like, there we go. <laughs> So on page seven, they say, when it was first coined as a technical term by Herbert Freudenberger in 1975, burnout was defined by three components. One, emotional exhaustion, the fatigue that comes from caring too much for too long. Two, depersonalization, the depletion of empathy, caring, and compassion. And three, decreased sense of accomplishment, an unconquerable sense of futility, feeling that nothing you do makes any difference. And they go on to say that emotional exhaustion is the part that's most highly linked to negative impacts on health and relationships. So what did you think about this definition of burnout? Does that map to how you think about it? Yeah, it does. Um, I like the, the, the three components, I think is very helpful. But what I loved the most is they mm-hmm. dug in below that and they were like, okay, so what exactly is an emotion? And I was like, oh, hell yes, yes. please define mm-hmm. this word that we use all day, every day. 
and I don't actually know what it means. Um, defining emotions is not my strong suit. Defining terms, I'm your girl. <laughs> defining emotions, not so much. Um, but I really mm-hmm. like this. They they said emotions at their most basic level involve the release of neurochemicals to the brain in response to some stimulus. It's automatic and instantaneous. It happens everywhere and it affects everything. So mm-hmm. the idea that this is a chemical physiological reaction in my body which i am so good at ignoring Mm -hmm. right was really helpful because i i was raised in an environment that that required me to control the expression of emotions and i think for most of my life i have equated controlling emotions with controlling the expression of emotions those Mm -hmm. are not the same things Yep. What you feel and what you show are, are, are not necessarily the same thing. And mm-hmm. so I can't control a neurological transmitter in my body. I mean, I'm badass, but I'm not that badass. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's really helpful to know that like you are going to feel an emotion when there is a stimulus, the same as you were going to feel pain when you stub your toe. And like, mm-hmm. I, it's probably super simple. And I imagine many adults already understand this but it was it was really helpful for me um Mm -hmm. and then I liked how they explained in an ideal setting left to their own devices emotions will end on their own you will feel the thing and then you will stop feeling the thing right you go through Mm -hmm. the tunnel there is light at the end of the tunnel but we can get stuck and we get stuck when we are constantly exposed to situations that activate the emotions. If your job yep. is stressful and you go there every day, you're going to get stuck, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't get to the end of the tunnel. You start over at the beginning of the tunnel every damn day. Mm-hmm. And and I like they, you know, they said no wonder parenting is so exhausting because once you're a parent, you're never not a parent. You're always going through mm-hmm. that tunnel. And we get stuck when we can't find our way through. And they were talking about like the most difficult feelings, rage, grief, despair, helplessness can be too big to move through alone. And then sometimes we get trapped because we're just not in a place where we're free to move through that tunnel. And yeah. they they mean literally like when they're talking about moving through an emotion, they mean by exercising it through your body. Like you are going mm-hmm. to move through the feeling through a physical act. Yeah. Um, which is also very different. But I wanted to give a shout out uh, to Kate Bornstein and her book, uh, Hello, Cruel World, 101 Alternatives to Suicide for Teens, Freaks and Other Outlaws, because mm-hmm. Kate Bornstein has taught me more about the human scale of emotion than any therapist <laughs> I have ever met. And in that book, and I would say this book mm-hmm. is very helpful for anyone um, if you're dealing with overwhelm or depression or just whatever. It's just a goddamn delightful read. But mm-hmm. Kate has a list of emotions that she has basically scored with a point system. And so if you're at a feeling that's all the way down at like number 30, her suggestion is what can you do to move up to number 29? So it's not this process of, I feel terrible, I want to feel happy. It's like, how do you feel one step better than you feel right now? But she's very specific in naming those feelings, Mm -hmm. which has been incredibly helpful for me as I'm trying to learn how to name the damn feelings. So (laughs) just a shout out of another book that, uh, that is very, very worthy of reading. And has a beautiful book cover. I love that book cover. It's so good. It's so good. 
Yeah. No, it's it's really, really great. Um, and yeah, and I like this understanding of emotions because the thing is that like emotions happen, right? You have no control over them. You feel how you feel and that's it. I have spent my whole life invalidating my emotions, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there's a difference between I have the emotion, I acknowledge the emotion, right? What's your uh, therapist say? Name the emotion, Name. say the emotion. Name, Name the, the feeling, feeling. say, say the, the feeling. feeling. <laughs> Um, And there's a difference between like doing that and then deciding consciously how you choose to act upon that feeling, but allowing yourself to feel it. I shut myself down at the feeling. I decide that I either I invalidate it. I don't have a right to that feeling, whatever it is, especially if it's anger, if it's resentment, if it's something like that, you know, Um, or I just decide that that feeling is unpleasant. I would rather not feel it now. And so I pretend that I don't feel it. My la 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 approach to that sort of thing. Um, so I find it really helpful to be starting with something that acknowledges that emotions happen and acknowledges that you can get stuck in them. And I think that I stick myself in my emotions. I do not follow through the tunnel. And so that was just an incredibly valuable kind of framework for me Mm -hmm. to look at this, you know, because I do not allow my emotions unless they are approved. Yes. Yes. Me too. There's a very short Mm -hmm. list on the approved emotions feeling right but when we were first reading burnout because it's been a while Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. we read it the first time and then had to reread it for the book but i had a day so i had a Mm -hmm. and this fits in beautifully with the once a parent always parent thing yeah Mm -hmm. so i had a really tough conversation with my kiddo and i Mm -hmm. was distraught like I was super upset I was mad I don't do well with anger in general Mm -hmm. I'm great to rant like you want to rant about a curriculum problem or bad pedagogy I can do that all day long but like actual anger in my body no thank you Mm -hmm. um and it was really bad and so I was reminded that what really helps is to go to the pool and put my body in the water and swim for an hour. Mm-hmm. So I went. I was super pissed off about it. I was resentful. I was grumpy. I was, yeah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. So I go and I swim and I get out. And I felt fan-freaking-tastic. Like, mm-hmm. everything was going to be fine. I can work this out. I was able to have a calm conversation afterwards. And then I got so mad because it worked. Like, I it know, worked. right? <laughs> I part of that too is that like I've been living this way my whole life clearly if it was possible for me to work through these emotions I would have already done it and yeah. then you do the thing they tell you to do and it works and you're like god damn it that happens with my therapist all the time oh, yeah, they'll tell me, me to do something and then I'll be like ah uh, you know because yeah. um, because uh, my feeling is that this is impossible that um, I've been dealing with this my whole life and if there was a better way to deal with it I would have found it by now right. you know I, and then and you I go don't and wanna, you just do it yeah yeah and I don't want to oversimplify it like every time something troubles you go jump in a body of water because a exactly. that's not possible and uh-huh. b it's not always going to work but it was mm-hmm. I think I had to acknowledge the direct correlation between feeling that emotion in my body and and moving and doing something mm-hmm. to move through it that I have to be I have to remind myself that it works yeah yeah well I mean the thing is like I used to smoke right you know so when I was stressed I would get a cigarette right um I read this book I got a quest 2 which is this VR thing and they have this game called Beat Saber which I play all the time right um and I found myself 
going to that game the way that I used to go to cigarettes. Like, because the cigarettes were, were a way, it was a physical act yep. that I could go outside, I'd, you know, have a cigarette, I would pull it all the way through. That was a way for me to do something physical that worked through the emotion tunnel, right? Yep. Um, and when I didn't have that anymore, I didn't do that. And I would get like in that frustrated, burnt out space. And then I found that I would go and do this physical thing. And it sometimes it'd just be one song, you know, the, mm -hmm. about the length of time it takes to smoke a cigarette. Um, and I would feel better, like I had processed it, you know? Um, so like the difference that that makes um, is, is crazy for me. And it's crazy how powerfully it really did work for me. I think that that there are certain instances where whatever is happening is so huge, you know, that yeah. it's going to take more than one song oh, on yeah. Beat Saber to like work through it, you know. But I yep. think when it's something fairly, when it's an irritation at work, when I'm feeling like just worn down, like I can't do one more thing, you know, I'll yep. stop, I'll do a little something physical or I'll go for a walk around the neighborhood, you know. Um, those things actually like it's it's crazy how incredibly effective I have found that approach um, since understanding that I can do this as a response to feeling stressed, you know? Yeah. And, and not to oversimplify it. Like I'm not giving mm -hmm. away the whole book because there's a lot more yeah. to it than this. But for there me, mm -hmm. it is I have to constantly remind myself that I am feeling this thing in my body and mm -hmm. the way to work through it is through my body. Yep. And like and almost in like almost revalidating to myself. Yeah. You, you know, you are a brain, but you are also a body. And like, that is, mm -hmm. that is a thing. And I'm just not used to thinking that way. I'm not, mm -hmm. it's still not a habit. Like I still have to remind myself and go back to that. But mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of potential in, mm -hmm. in this book, you know, and I, and yeah. I appreciate the way they kind of give you some of the big ideas up front, um, you know, and kind of guide you through what they're going to be talking about throughout the rest of the book. Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, one of the concepts that they talk about, um, you know, which we've touched on briefly, is this human givers versus human beings mm -hmm. thing, right? Um, and they reference uh, the philosopher Kate Mann, um, who describes a system, and this is a quote, in which one class of people, the human givers, are expected to offer their time, attention, affection, and bodies willingly, placidly to the other class of people, the human beings. The implication in these terms is that human beings have a moral obligation to be or express their humanity, while the human givers have a moral obligation to give their humanity to the human beings. And guess which one women are. Um, so again, we're getting ourselves into this very gendered kind of idea of male and female, you know. Um, and I think that this, um, I, the human givers versus human beings, like I saw a reflection of myself in that. Um, how did you feel about that as a general concept? I, I mean, in some ways, it resonated with me. <laughs> But and, and then I keep questioning, okay, but is that because I was raised and socialized feminine or was it just because of the way that I was raised, period? And I think it has yeah. a lot more to do with gender, like greater society at large. We decide as a society who has more and less value. Yes. And then mm -hmm. there is this, this. So one of the things that I've studied as a curriculum specialist is the idea of a hidden curriculum, which is mm -hmm. what you learn from your environment that is not spoken or explicitly stated. Mm -hmm. So yes. if you take two high schools, two public high schools, 
And one of them is has a beautifully manicured lawn and a football field and a walking track and posters on all the walls about Ivy League colleges. And the principal greets you at the door when you walk in. Mm-hmm. You are going to to internalize the message that you are welcome here. We support you and we want you to go to college. And if Mm -hmm. you go to another high school that is surrounded by a chain link fence that has a paved basketball court and no greenery whatsoever, that -hmm. you go through a metal detector when you walk in the door and all of the posters are rules. Don't do Mm -hmm. this. Don't do that. You're going to internalize the message. We expect you to go to prison. So yeah. like it, it is a true hidden curriculum of how the world communicates things to us that most of the time we don't even know how to unpack. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of, of what gets done, I mean, a lot of what they're describing in this book is done by society through tons of messages that we receive. But I mm-hmm. think that's bigger than than women and men. I absolutely think it's bigger than women and men. The first thing I thought about was race. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because racist structures see white as being and non-white, but especially black as something else. Right. It's not just emotional labor that we have been implicitly through societal messages been told to expect, but all kinds of labor to which the beings feel entitled. Right. Um, So while the book looks at this fairly strictly through a gendered lens, I think there's space here for more kind of intersectionality of thought. Uh, The specific ways in which givers are expected to accept abuse while beings engage in entitlement create dynamics in which women read white women can turn around and deal the abuse they receive onto other identities um So when giver and being are simplified, it feels like it speaks to a given dynamic between white men and white women without considering the other ways in which this dynamic can play out in other areas of society. So when we're talking about the societal uh, messages that tell us, you know, as people, you and I are people who were, you know, assigned feminine at birth, who identify feminine, um, that we have been told and, and socialized to be human givers. Yes, absolutely. But I think that in other ways, we have also been told and socialized to be human beings. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's important to acknowledge that this has other kind of dynamics out there. Um, I they're not we're very simplified in the book we are you know talking about two genders um you know and talking about all of that and i understand they do that because that is the science that is available to them mm-hmm. um but i think that there are more ways to look at this that can be um that can look at it in in a more complex way where somebody can be in one instance and dynamic a giver one instance and dynamic a being um not to mention that i have known people who are are, um, you know, who have been raised in abusive situations um, as children who end up becoming, you know, human givers uh, without regard to um, the societal structures that they find themselves in, that they will always put themselves in the position of the human giver because that's the messaging that they received in the home as children, you know. Um, So there's, there's just, I guess there's just a lot more complexity to this. And I don't mind talking about this 
this dynamic, you know, um, because I think that this dynamic definitely does exist and it's something to think about. I think that it is just way, way more complex um, than just human giver equals woman, human being equals man. And aren't the men terrible? You yeah. know, I think there are other ways in which you can look at that. Well, and again, I think this illustrates the limitation and strength of research. So yes, it, because the studies that they're basing this on are gendered and delineated in these ways, the data set that you're working with is limited in these ways. But exactly. the the qualitative piece, the storytelling piece, the breaking this out piece allows you to expand that data set so that you mm-hmm. might find something that resonates with you, even in these these two generalized mm-hmm. buckets that you're working with. So I think it was on page nine. Um, they, they said in human giver syndrome, the giver isn't allowed to inconvenience anyone with anything so messy as emotions. So givers are trapped in a situation where they're not free to move through the tunnel. They might even be punished for it. I yeah. feel that because of my life. I don't yes. know that I feel that because I would be considered feminine in this book. But that right. specifically spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't consider myself like human giver syndrome in all situations Mm -hmm. there are also times I enjoy taking care of people like very much um and I don't want to give that up like I don't see and it's not to your detriment you get back from that exactly exactly Mm -hmm. so I think but but I have certainly lived in times Mm -hmm. where the giving of self was killing me and so I think like identifying for yourself the context in which this might apply, you know, and it, and it might be relevant to you is, is important. Yes. So it, this doesn't have to fit a hundred percent. There are still strategies in there that can be helpful. Um, and I did like this. It felt like a callback to the original BSY because one of my favorite takeaways from our, our early mm-hmm. reading was the idea of never good enough to who do you think you are? And you're always swinging yes. between that pendulum and there's no daylight between them exactly Mm -hmm. and so they on on page nine again they said your instinct for self-preservation is battling a syndrome that insists that self-preservation is is selfish so your efforts to care for yourself might actually make things worse because how dare you and so now i have the never good enough who do you think you are are? how dare you Mm -hmm. over here which i did find to be very powerful Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I actually really, really like that. Um, and I think that it is, um, again, like, uh, you know, regardless of where you may fall on a gender spectrum, I think the idea of of not necessarily identifying as either human giver or human being, mm-hmm. but seeing the areas in your life, the circumstances in your life in which you are you are subjecting yourself to human giver syndrome because on page 10, they say your body with its instinct for self-preservation knows on some level that human giver syndrome is slowly killing you and you will feel it where it slowly kills you. Um, I actually play into the human giver uh, thing really, really well at work, um, but I like it. Mm. I like it because I have the power to fix things for people. 
right? I like doing that. I like when people come to me with a problem and I can solve it. I do not feel um, exhausted by that. I feel energized by that. Um, and people treat me with complete respect. You know, they come to me and they're like, oh my God, I have this thing. And they're very, you know, so like nobody treats me badly. Nobody feels entitled to me, my time or anything, but I give it willingly because I like doing that. I have had circumstances, you know, in which I have put myself into human giver where I have been, I felt like I have been taking chunks of myself and giving that to other people and just having an empty space there, you know, where those parts of myself used to be. Um, If that is a feeling with which you identify, then in those circumstances, you are suffering with human giver syndrome. And you can do that no matter where you identify in any other realm, be it gender, be it race, be it uh, class, you know, any of that, like, these are all things that you can feel and you know, if you felt them. Mm hmm. You know, so I think that that is valuable to understand Um, and you can just unmap it, you know, from from that dynamic, understand the circumstances in which you've been human giver and maybe understand the circumstances in which you may have been the human being. You know, I mean, understand where that happens sometimes in relationships with other people that may have, you know, Um, and that's definitely something to think about as well, Um, because if you see people in your life who are cutting off chunks of themselves to keep you happy. You know, what is, what is the phrase set yourself on fire to keep other people people warm. warm. Right. Um, and uh, that is definitely a human giver syndrome thing. And, um, if you see somebody that you love setting themselves on fire to keep you warm, maybe, you know, help them with that. Even if that means that you're going to have to keep yourself warm (laughs) a little bit more, (laughs) you know, um, So we have the, they go right into the organization of the book. And I do like this. I like this in an introduction. Like, here is what we're going to do. You know, this is the plan. This is how we're going to do it. So I really like that they, they go through and they, um, they lay it all out. Part one is about the stress response cycle, um, the monitor or our brain mechanism for frustration and also meaning and meaning is always fun to talk about. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, part two talks about the game being rigged, the patriarchy as the real enemy. And I would add to this why white supremacy being the real enemy, homophobia, fat phobia, hateful expressions in a culture that is absolutely abusive to many, many, many people. Yep. Um, but yes, you know, patriarchy skips hand in hand with white supremacy all the time. So it's not a surprise that 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 there's a gang of terrible, terrible things and influences in our society, which all are part of systems that rig the game. You know, which is an incredibly frustrating thing to deal with. And it's good to be aware of the ways in which the game is is rigged. Yeah. Um, and part three is the science that helps us deal with the burnout we experience from living in these systems, which they call wax on, wax off. And on page 12, they say, in the mundane tasks, live the protective gestures that help us grow strong enough to defend ourselves and the people we love and to make peace with our enemies. So that's kind of interesting because they do talk about the the everyday tasks, the the habits that we get into being things that can help protect us uh, from this from the detriment of this of this uh, syndrome. Um, so what do you think about the organization? Of I like the book. I mean, you know me. I love a. I love a give structured, me a framework, right? Give me a framework. <laughs> um, I also appreciate at the end of each chapter, they have a too a too long. Don't read section yeah with some some bulleted points and so I think anytime you're reading something that is not a hundred percent going to fit you right it would be very mm-hmm. easy to say 
well, this is too gendered for me or this is too like I don't yeah. have this syndrome. It's not going to help. I have found it helpful to make a bulleted list at the end of like this did mm-hmm. stand out to me. This is helpful. So I like yeah. theirs as an example, but I would encourage anyone reading it to make your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did want to mention at burnoutbook.net, the book's website, they have created and provided for free a series of downloadable discussion guides. Mm-hmm. So they, and then like they've made one for teachers. They've made one yeah. for using burnout in the workplace. Like, so there are several, and sometimes those discussion questions can open up parts of the mm-hmm. reading for you. If you're, you know, if you're going to read this with a friend or, or you just want to think about it more deeply. So I feel like they've been very thoughtful about structuring yes. a lot of information and trying to make that accessible. Um, and, and I like that what they're calling the wax on wax off is they, mm-hmm. they define it as what makes you stronger, which is connection, rest, and self-compassion. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. great, because I'm so good at all of those things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but what intrigued me, and we'll have to wait for a later chapter because we only got a little bit of this in the intro. Yeah. But they said meaning is often misunderstood as the thing we find at the end of the tunnel, but it's not. It's why we go through the tunnel, regardless of what mm-hmm. we find on the other side. Meaning yeah. is good for us. So I am I am very intrigued to like, that's what makes me want to read more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I loved the most in the structure mm-hmm. of this book section was the deconstruction of the idea of science. So yes, this is my favorite definition. Like, I love this so much. They're talking about mm-hmm. science and they said it is important to remember that science is ultimately a specialized way of being wrong. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, I want that on a T-shirt. Like, <laughs> research is an ongoing process of learning new things that shows us a little more of what's true, which inevitably reveals how wrong we used to be. And it's never <laughs> finished. Science doesn't mm-hmm. offer perfect truth, only the best available truth. And mm-hmm. I just want to pause and celebrate that because, A, they're right. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. what is this is according to science. Great. That's what we know as of today. That mm-hmm. is going to change, right? And the whole purpose right. of it is to keep going out and finding out more. But I think this is also true just for your own self-reflection and self-development. Like there are things mm-hmm. I would have defined myself as yeah. three years ago that I don't define myself as anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Because you can only have, you you can never know your own perfect truth, just your own best available truth. Mm-hmm. So like I loved that as a definition and as a bigger yes. concept. Um, They did point out that in social science, most research is assessing the average. And that is true. And it is a huge Mm -hmm. limitation of research. Like you are on average, an adult needs two Tylenol. Great. Mm -hmm. That might not work for you. You know, so it is it is a measurement. It is not the measurement. Um, I also appreciated them pointing out science is expensive. And because mm-hmm. someone has to pay for it, it is therefore, consequently, ergo, biased. <laughs> and <laughs> all research is because someone is mm-hmm. funding it. So that is very important to keep in mind. Why this study and not another? Why this this demographic and not another? You know, that, mm-hmm. that we are limited. Like that is built in to the construct of what we study as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really loved you know, of course, storytelling as the dissemination sure. of research. And I, I, they had a quote in here, but I think maybe you need to read it because I circled <laughs> it and wrote, Lonnie, how story works, baby. <laughs> that was really good. Yes. 
Yes. It's interesting because they, they say this and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I've been talking about for years when I teach um, writers how to write for positive goals instead of negative goals. What they say is we thrive when we have a positive goal to move towards, not just a negative state we're trying to move away from. And this is absolutely uh, true. One thing they talk about, they talk about like moving toward the cheese rather than away from the owl as a mouse going through a maze. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really good metaphor. And that's the thing, because when you're moving away from the owl, you can go in any direction. When you're moving toward the cheese, you're going in a very, very specific direction. Um, So what I find funny is that... um, I have talked about this in terms of good storytelling for your protagonist within, you know, a fiction, right? And that fiction is, you know, a way for us to look at our actual lives. So, of course, most of the stuff in fiction is going to, at least on a metaphorical level, apply to us in real life. And that's part of what you do with fiction is you talk about what this means to us in real life. Um, But it was so funny because as I was reading this, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Uh, This applies to fictional characters, but it also applies to me. And why have I not thought about things in that way? Why have I not thought about moving toward the cheese rather than away from the owl? Which became my big idea for the week. My aha moment is, yes, of course, move toward the cheese instead of away from the owl. My life, I always think in terms of what the bad things that are going to happen if I don't do X, as opposed to what good things are going to happen if I do Y, you know? Um, And it's really, it's embarrassing because I have been talking about this exact concept for years, teaching people this for years, never applied it to myself personally in my own real life. Um, And I think that that's really interesting to me that is a a crunchy thing and I do like that they you know they talked about storytelling and they kind of like moved into how stories can supplement the science there as well so I like that a lot that was my aha moment what was your aha moment I I think I really like the the how dare you um Mm -hmm. because it is it is so it is so limiting the idea of how dare you um you know how dare you well because I and fucking moving toward the fucking cheese. God damn it. Like, exactly. It, and, and I think even to, because they said, you know, the goal is not to feel less burned out, less overwhelmed. The goal is to be, and they use the word mighty, to become mighty. Yeah. Because burnout and overwhelm and stress are always going to be there. How do you become mm-hmm. strong enough to navigate through them? without going through these long difficult periods of burnout mm-hmm. and and I think the the first step in that right everything that we have established in the society that we live in is how dare you how dare you even consider mm-hmm. that you know yeah. how, how dare you even put forth the notion that you were going to become mighty like how dare you how dare you think that you deserve that which is always the yeah. place that I run up against yeah yeah yeah, so mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting, um, but I, I think that is a it's a it's a really big idea. It it takes a certain amount of audacity to yeah. intentionally put yourself first in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. And so, and I think holding on to a certain amount of audacity is is a a damn good life skill. <laughs> I think it absolutely is. All right. So, Dr. Jones, our next uh, thing that we are visiting, our next concept that we are visiting here as we close up this discussion of this part of the book is the strong challenge. What did you resist? Oh, God. 
in the mundane tasks, live the protective gestures that help us grow strong. And I'm like, great. So I've uh-huh. got to do the dishes to be mighty. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> you got to build those habits. Baby. You got to build those habits. So I struggle with routine, habits, mm-hmm. schedules, anything that makes me feel bored. Um, I mm-hmm. am, I am quite possibly looking at some kind of adult ADD um, thing. I'm actually mm-hmm. being assessed for it, which would not surprise me at all. But some mm-hmm. there's there are there are certain ways that my brain operates that yeah. it is incredibly challenging to find. And it's not just like, oh, it's so hard for me to stay organized or oh, I don't want to do these tasks. Mm-hmm. It is difficult to find positive emotions in the mundane. Right. Mm-hmm. So like and it, and so it becomes a bigger struggle because mm-hmm. it is a negative experience. So right. I am I am challenging in the I know this is going to be hard, but mm-hmm. I think this is one of the things I want to learn most from this book. Yeah. How does that mundane task, how do those mundane tasks become protective gestures? Like that is very powerful mm-hmm. language. Yeah. You know? So I don't I am I'm resisting it because it sounds hard, but <laughs> I, am, I am very interested in how uh-huh. that's going to unfold. So. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your strong challenge? Oh, God. It, you know, funny enough, it was just this one line. We humans are not built to do things alone. We are built to work together. Um, I hate group projects. Um, <laughs> I like I. It is it is hard for me to like trust other people when I'm working on something. Um, it's hard for me to think especially about my own um, self-development in terms of other people, because my, the way that I was raised, um, when I am with somebody else, my job is to give to them. I am an extrovert that is exhausted around other people because I am always, um, my therapist calls it hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Um, I am always looking for ways in which A, they may be disappointed from me or B, in which I can carve off a piece of myself and give it to them, right? Um, and that is something that I am working on. Um, I have a person in my life now who is my live-in person who uh, really gets irritated when I start doing that with him. So um, <laughs> calls me on it all the time. and uh, And so it's something that is... Very difficult because the human giver part of me, there is a safety in carving off all of my pieces and lighting myself on fire to keep other people warm. Because when I am lit on fire, um, then I've done everything that they could ask of me. And in the moment, I nobody's going to need anything from me because I've already given everything that I have. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, like uh, the idea of working, we are built to work together. You know, um, that we are built to support each other in all of these things and that I can receive support and give support. Um, You are one of the people in my life who has taught me how to receive support because you will not put up with this bullshit either. If I try to light myself on fire for you, no, then you turn around and light yourself on fire for me. Mm -hmm. And the two of us sit there on fire. and We're like, well, this clearly isn't working. Um, And so like you have been one of the, the instrumental people in getting me to, to knock this shit off because you will not accept it. I have a few other people in my life who also will not accept it from me. Um, but I need to be able to find that in myself and be able to work with, um, you know, with people in my life, you know, so that we can all support each other 
you know, in an equal way where I don't have to be more supportive. I don't have to have carved off more of myself than the other people, you know, in order to feel like I deserve the space that I'm in. Yeah. Um, I think I'm always in a, in a, um, in a space of how dare you, mm-hmm. you know? Like if I, if I move into that at all. So, uh, so for me, like, I like to work on these things. I like to work on myself alone. I like to do my things alone. I like to, you know, because if anybody else is there, I will try to carve off a piece of myself. So learning how to not carve off a piece of myself in the presence of others is a bit of a challenge for me. I resist that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that I need to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be, I think they address that quite a lot in this book. So Mm -hmm. I It'll think be... I'm going to be, I've already read this book and I still need to read it again. <laughs> Me too. Me too. So what is your yes now? I, that's, I was like, oh, I'm going to play around with these headings. And I was like, instead of a yes, I'm like, yes, now. Or yes, uh-huh. for now. Because not all yeses are forever and they're temporal that's and they true. shift and we're constantly growing and developing or whatever. So for now, <laughs> <laughs> what's your homework this week? Uh, I think I want to define my cheese. What am I working toward? What Mm -hmm. is the specific positive goal that I'm working toward? Instead of I want to not be exhausted all the time, right? You know, like, or I want to not feel bad all the time, or I want to like, what is it that I want to actively do? Mm-hmm. What is it that I want to feel? Um, and, you know, and the thing is, is that, yes, burnout, like the things that cause burnout are always going to be present. So what do you do? How do you build yourself up so that you are in pursuit of something positive that you can pull in that will give you strength and resilience, you know, um, which is something that we learned. Resilience is something we learned from, <laughs> from Brene Brown and Rising Strong. Um, what are the things that are going to be restorative to me that I can pursue Um, so that I cannot expect that these stressors, these things that burn me out will not exist in my life anymore. But how am I going to positively pursue the things that, that restore me? What is my cheese? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I got to think about that. What about you? What's your homework? I'm going to copy off your paper. Um, (laughs) but I think I need to do this in a very specific way. So Mm -hmm. if I start saying, what is my cheese, which actually I don't like, but Mm-hmm. Just because there's a book called Who Moved My Cheese that I hate. And that's with a, a stupid book. Fiery yeah. passion. So like, but like, no, what is yeah. the goal, right? What are you moving mm-hmm. toward? Mm-hmm. And what will happen is I will sit down and write this list. Mm-hmm. I will write a five page reflection. It will be poetic. It will be lyrical. <laughs> it will include huge things for the rest of my life. It will talk about mm-hmm. the soul, the body, mm-hmm. the meaning of life possibly the astral plane like it <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens okay so i think what i need to do i need to to pick a single thing like mm-hmm. one thing where burnout affects me to focus mm-hmm. on because mm-hmm. i am i am a person who's going to want to try to fix and improve 75 things at once and that's not going right. to help so like i need to narrow that down because creative delimitations help everybody pick one thing one and and then think about what does it mean to be mighty in the context Mm -hmm. of that one thing I really like that word and if I could sing I would sing Brooke House because I it just (laughs) it delights me to no end but so one thing and what does it mean Mm -hmm. to be mighty within that one thing I like it it's gonna be I like it your achievable cheese (laughs) oh god no it's so bad (laughs) (laughs) 
Those who listen to How Story Works know that I'm always saying that characters need to have achievable goals. And yes. so, yes, now oh, I just, I couldn't help it. God. That's what I was thinking. You were so the achievable cute. cheese. The achievable cheese. All right. So, darling, what is your favorite part of the introduction of burnout? Oh, my God. They, they defined research, like define your mm-hmm. terms and did a beautiful job. Research mm-hmm. is an ongoing process of learning new things that show us a little more of what's true, which inevitably reveals how wrong we used to be and it is never finished. <laughs> like that is the human experience. And also mm-hmm. I really want to teach a graduate methodology class just so I can have this definition. I, I love, love it. it. So I much. Love it. What about you? What's your favorite part? Um, I like when they say story goes where science can't, right? <laughs> Is that they've they're using story to talk about like the the bigger meaning, the bigger picture of everything, how this this puzzle piece fits into your humanity regardless of what the science says the specificity of the science like we get i I get tripped up in the gendered language which they're using because of the specificity of the science which i understand you know and instead of letting myself get tripped up in that use story and this is one of the incredible values of story is that story can take reality the way that it is and make it make sense in a way that is is you know spiritual Uh and um like ephemeral you know just just beyond the the specific reaches of data and i find that to be a nice pairing of story and science and i really like that and i think that's my favorite part i love it all right to join in the discussion on twitter follow me at lonnie diane rich and kelly at dr kelly jones and use the hashtag big strong yes also be sure to follow chipperish media at chipperish to stay connected with all of our podcasts and you can find more about the doctors nagoski and burnout the book at burnoutbook.net this episode of Big Strong Yes was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Big Strong Yes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Stephania, Shelley, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our power producers, story goes where science can't. $5 and up Patreon supporters get my reaction show with Ian Martin of The Passion of the Nerd. Let's watch Roulette, where we randomly roll something on Netflix and watch it live. $10 and up Patreon supporters also get to attend live tapings of Big Strong Yes and all the other podcasts we do at Chipperish Media. Head on over to patreon.com slash chipperish to find out what waits for you when you decide to support. You can also show your support for Big Strong Yes by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show and chipperish media or figure out what your cheese is and move toward it we will be back next time with chapter one complete the cycle until then today's closing quote is by mary oliver from her poem wild geese you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves <laughs>